supposed to stop at 8. Supposed to stop at 8.30. <laughs> there we go. Good morning. It is good to see you at First Baptist Church. Thank you so much for being here. There are several announcements, and we'll just go ahead and look at those real quick. And um, if you'll look in your worship guide, um, Discipleship University starts this week. Um, we were supposed to have a guest teaching, but he had a, uh, he blacked out and had a bad fall and had a severe concussion, and the doctor told me he needed to stop teaching and hold back on the schedule a little bit. So, so you got me, okay? And I, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. But what I'm going to do is do the psalm and prayer in the morning and at night. Because I know some people don't like to come out at night, especially in the fall. And then we'll do it in the morning time and also at night. So 9 and also 6.30 right in here. Um, we may move it later um, out of this room at 6.30, but this week it'll be at 6.30. And then you can see the different studies are going on for women. And then, and then also children's and student ministry, all that starts back. Um, last week the students were somewhere else on a, on a, a joint group, but uh, they'll all be together in the youth house tonight or, or this Wednesday night. And then Sons of Thunder, men, this is the last day to register for the fish fry. We have a guest speaker coming in. And then the, the well gathering is um, this coming next Sunday. Um, Laura um, Coward up there, wave your hand. She's going to be sharing her testimony. And so, ladies, make sure you sign up for that. So there are several other things that you can be involved in. But those are things we want to call your attention to. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? All right, you be seated. Um, our call to worship is um, on, the script, on the screen there, and just encourage you to read it out loud with me. Would you read it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? And then after that, we're going to hear from God's Word, as Paul told us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Brian's going to come and read, I think, from the book of Amos today. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of worship. It's been one of those weeks that we don't want to repeat anytime soon, but we thank you that your mercies have been strong for us. And we ask, God, that you would bless us as we worship you. Turn our attention toward you, God. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our devotion. And we ask, Father, that as we worship you, that your spirit might manifest himself to us, that we might be changed as a result. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's a perfect storm this morning. No voice and no contact. So <laughs> with me. Uh, this morning's reading is from Amos uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who are afflict, afflict <clears throat> the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is, the, it is in an evil time. Seek God and not evil, that you may live, and so the Lord, the God host, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may, <clears throat> excuse me, 
it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will, will be gracious at the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of God. I think Brother Brian did a pretty good job. If I didn't have my glasses, I wouldn't even be able to find this podium. I think you did a great job there without, without contact. So that's a good job. Direct your attention just to the scriptures that I have. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 310, Blessed Be the Name.
I would like to say to the congregation, and I've said to Ronnie many times, what an honor it has been to stand in this pulpit for God first and for you second, Ronnie. And what an honor it has been to be a part of this and to give you, Ronnie, this time that you need so desperately. Y'all encircle him with your love, with your arms, hold him tight. And I just thank you for giving me this opportunity, sir. Thank you. Turn your attention yet to another verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid by Jesus Christ. Once that foundation is laid, we know that if we trust and obey, we will be held securely for eternity. Let's stand together as we sing number 511, The Solid Rock, and then trust and obey. Stand together. <coughs>
invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. We'll read those verses in just a moment. First, listen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I read the words of David where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he repeats it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, forget not all his benefits. Forgive us, Lord, when we are quick to forget the things you have done for us. You have forgiven our iniquities. You've healed our diseases. You redeem our life from the pit. You crown us with steadfast love and mercy. You satisfy us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. You indeed are good to us. And this morning we want to bless your name. We praise you. God, we pray for those in our midst who are struggling and hurting. We lift them to you. We pray for your comfort, for your peace that surpasses understanding. We thank you, Father, for the celebrations we've had this week. We thank you for the protections that we have seen. We thank you, God, that Matt is here today after a scare. We, we give you praise for that. We, we thank you, Father, for the, the joy of weddings and all the things that we get to do in this ebb and flow of church. But we also remember those who are hurting, and we lift Ronnie to you, Father, and Thank you that he's here, and I just pray, God, that you would comfort him and his family and, and the broader family, which is just as real, the church family. I thank you, Father, for the choir and the way that they have sung the praises of you with hurts in their heart, just showing a testimony to the hope that we have of your resurrection. Thank you for that. And God, as we come... We confess that all that we have that is good is from you. And as we come to your word, we ask God that you would speak to us very clearly. James wrote some marvelous things and he wrote some tough things. We're in the midst of some of the tough things that James wrote. So speak to us and encourage us even in the hardness and the strongness of these words. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 4. Our text this morning is verses 4 through 6. But it's been a couple of weeks um, since I've preached. And so let me ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And, and we'll start in verse 1, though I think verse 4 will be where your screen will pick up. Um, the words on the screen. But let's read starting with verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And here's our text. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace Read that again. But he gives more grace. Amen? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. As I laid out the preaching plan for James and trying to put it in 
bite-sized texts that we could that we could handle and, and then I could preach within the time frame. Um, I laid it out and I broke it up, especially this section. But as I was reading it and going over it again, I thought it might have been better just to treat this whole section like a Band-Aid. And, you know, it's a lot easier with a Band-Aid just to rip it off and, and, and just to deal with all of this at one time. It would have been a little longer of a sermon because James, James doesn't pull any punches at the end of chapter 3 and coming into chapter 4. And today it's like he's finally set us up for the final knockout punch especially when you consider how he's been addressing the people that he's writing to all the way through this letter. Over and over again, we've seen the words brothers. And I've told you that implied in that is brothers and sisters. He's, he's used that phrase nine times, brothers and sisters. And then he comes to verse 4, and he says, you adulterous people. Kind of a shift it's pretty obvious, isn't it? From brothers and sisters to you adulterous people, it, it fits within the context of quarrels coming out of selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, earthly and demonic wisdom that he's spoken about re recently, disorder with, with in every evil and vile practice. James gives us the source of the conflicts that's coming from the enemy. But he also is going to show us, as we see in the very first thing, the danger of the conflicts. We see the danger. We, we can't just write off any of James, or for that matter, any of the Word of God, but we can't write this section off as no big deal. This is the earliest letter of the New Testament. Probably, the I think, the first New Testament letter written. And... And yet the message is just as relevant to today as it was then. So look at the danger. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When you look at this, I, I think it would be helpful just to break down those three words that stand out to me in this, in this verse. The first word is the word adulterous. Why would James use that word, adulterous, here? James is writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered. He's writing to people who knew their Old Testament, what we would call, they just called it their Bible. They, they did, at this time, the New Testament had not been written. They knew their Bible. And especially in the Old Testament, the prophets especially pictured the relationship that we have with God as that of a marriage. It's all the way through Scripture. It's pictured that way also in the New Testament. We see it especially in Ephesians when Paul goes through the relationship of husband and wife. He says, this is a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so the Bible pictures the relationship we have with him as it's marriage. It, and, and here, marriage is, is in the news a lot. It's discussed a lot. Your kids probably, or if, if you're like me, that you wonder sometimes where they get their views from because it's not the views that they were brought up with. And, 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 but here's the thing I would say without getting into it right now. We'll come into it some other time. But, but marriage is God's idea. He's the one that ordained it in Genesis. It's God's plan, and God gets to set the parameters of it. And that's true not only of a physical marriage, it's true of spiritual marriage as well. It's God's plan, it's God's idea, and He sets the parameters. The focus here is biblical marriage. It, it's, 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 it's a marriage that, that's between us and God. Now, physical marriage, clearly the scripture is between one man and one woman for one life. It's the way it's supposed to be. It hasn't always worked out that way, but that's God's plan for marriage. But it's always the relationship here on earth, the relationship I have with Kim, the relationship you have with your spouse, that relationship is always intended to point to the relationship that we have with God. 
It's to point to the most intimate relationship that we have on earth is to point to the relationship that we have with God our Father. And so the Old Testament often speaks of our relationship with Him in terms of marriage. Let me just give you a couple. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 5 and 6. For your maker is your husband. What an incredible statement. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the holy God of Israel is your redeemer. And the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For your maker is your husband. And then in Jeremiah 3, verse 20, he says, Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Those are strong words. And he's using them there to speak of Israel and how they rejected God and walked away from God. But this whole marriage idea is especially lived out in, in the prophet Hosea. I, I won't go through all the details of Hosea. I, I'd encourage you, it won't take you long this afternoon to read it, but, but Hosea is called to marry a prostitute. And he is the prophet is called to marry this prostitute and their relationship was to serve as a as a physical picture for Israel of their spiritual relationship with God and, and how far it had fallen. And what I'm about to read are words that I never thought, some of the words I never thought I'd say in, in the pulpit, but much less mixed company, but they're biblical words, and the ESV pictures them very graphically. Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For the mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. This is Hosea's wife. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge, and he's speaking of Israel, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build up a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She shall... Seek them, but not find them. She shall say, I will go now and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. now. Those are graphic words. But it's a picture of Israel walking away from God. And it's a picture James is giving to us when he says, you adulterous people, they were walking away from God in their quarrels and their fights and and their, their insistence on, on being the, the, the primary thing in, in, in whatever was going on rather than God being the priority. It's a picture of relationship with God when we live in sin. We like to, we like to smooth it over and paint it in pretty colors, but what the Bible is saying is that when we live in sin, we are living in spiritual adultery. Well, he goes to another word that's a little bit a little bit more positive in our minds, but not used positively here as the word friendship. We use the word friendship pretty casually, don't we? We, I was, I was laughing, somebody was talking about um, a guy in our church who, who said of another guy, he said, well, he, he, he's my best friend. And, and they asked the other guy about it, and he said, well, he's not my best friend. I don't know what he's talking about. So, you know, we use that word sometimes pretty casually. But, um, but in, in James's culture, the word had to do more than just with acquaintances, like oftentimes we'll use the word. We'll talk about acquaintance as being a friend, but they used it more in what we would talk about as best friends or close friends or dear friends. Those we share common mindset with, those we share common desires with or, or common outlooks with. Not acquaintances, but close friends. It's, it's based, this word is for friendship is based on the Greek word for love, which is brotherly love. And so it comes out of that. And so he says friendship with the world. And what he's doing is, 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 is building his case for spiritual adultery. When we follow God, but yet we're friends with the world, 
in a way that's outside of God's will, we're committing adultery. And then he comes to that third word, which is another very strong word. We've seen it before, and that's enmity. Friendship with the world. Now, what does that mean? There's different ways of using the world. The, 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 world, the word world is used in, in many ways in the Bible, but here it's talking about the world system. The world system that's being run by the God of this age, by Satan himself. And, and friendship with the world system, friendship with a system run by the enemy makes you an enemy of God. If you build back from it, your, your friends, your, your enmity with God because of your friendship with the world, which is spiritual adultery. It all works together. And that's what he's saying. When we're saved, we, we exchange vows with God. Yesterday, we, we, we had a wedding. Um, Larry Blair and, and, and um, Barbara Hayes were married. I, and I called Larry Linda in the, in, the, in the wedding. You'll hear about it later. Um, but um, they were married yesterday. And they exchanged vows and they exchanged rings as a symbol of their covenant. When we're saved, we exchange vows with God. We, we go through the baptismal waters promising that, that we will serve him and that we will follow him. We enter into a relationship with God that is so intimate that only earthly marriage can picture that relationship for us. We, we become in Christ and Christ comes inside of us. We become one with him. It's an unbelievable picture. To have that relationship and then flirt with the world, to play with the world, to, to keep going back to it like Hosea's wife returning to her prostitution, it's, it's spiritual adultery. And it puts us at enmity with God. There's no other way to say it. I wish I could be more positive. That's what James tells us. Friendship with the world is enmity with God and adultery. That's the danger. What's the reason for the danger? Why is it so dangerous? Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. When you look at verse 5, you may say, well, that's pretty self-explanatory. But when you begin to dig into it, this is one of the hardest passages, hardest verses in the book of James to interpret. Because let's look at it for a second. I, I want you to, two reasons it's hard to interpret. First is, or do you suppose that the scripture says, that little phrase, the scripture says, makes us look for a direct quote in the Bible, doesn't it? When, when I'm reading through and it says, the scripture says, and then they give us a quote, I, I'm looking for the direct quote that's from the Old Testament and seeing what they say and, and why they're saying it. But, but, but there's no direct quote here. This doesn't come directly out of the Old Testament. So what is James doing? Is he quoting from something outside of scripture? I don't think so because he says the scripture says. What is James is doing is on the basis of the accusation of spiritual adultery and friendship with the world and being an enmity with God, he sums up all of Scripture. He says, here's a summation of what the Bible says about God being a jealous God. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. You see it in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 25, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous when we commit spiritual adultery. He is jealous over us when we, when we take vows with him and then flirt with the world we left. Now, there's a sinful jealousy that we often think about. We, we think about a, 
an irrational husband or an irrational wife that, that, that is convinced their spouse is having an affair when, when and maybe there's not, no means to it, no reason for it. They're just irrational about it. And so when we think about jealousy, we think about that. But, but there, is a, there is a reality that, that jealousy at least comes out of genuine love. If, if you told me that, that you saw my wife having an affair, and I said, huh, I don't care. What does that say about my love? What does that say about my commitment to Kim and my commitment to her marriage? Yes, if, if you told me that, knowing Kim, I'd have a hard time believing it. But if you say, hey, I got pictures to prove it, then that there's a jealousy that's going to come up in me, and rightfully so, because she's my bride. God has a holy jealousy over his children. He loves us, and he wants us to love him above everything else. And when we don't, it grieves him. The other problem in this passage, if you look at it, is the word spirit. Is he talking about, in, in, in verse 5 there, is he talking about the Holy Spirit or is he talking about your spirit? Um, the ESV would, would seem to at least think um, that, that he's talking about um, the, your spirit because it's not capitalized. But, but as James, I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He, he's caused the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. There he goes. I, he, he, he yearns jealousy over the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been caused to come and live inside of us. And, and, and here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive. He's sensitive. I, I mentioned this a while back. He, he doesn't adjust to our lifestyles. He expects us to adjust to him. And two things the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit's sensitivity. He's grieved when we sin, and he's quenched when we sin. When I say something that I shouldn't say or do something that I shouldn't do, when the Spirit is leading me and, and to do something and I don't do it, when I do those things, the Spirit's grieved. Men, you, you've been, ladies, you too, but mostly men, You've been in the car when you know you've said something. You don't know exactly what you said, but all of a sudden, though, your wife is still just a couple of feet away from you. She's a thousand miles away. Baby, what did I say? Nothing. I I've learned to ask that question three times, and if she says nothing all three, I don't ask again. But by the third time, she tells me. Sometimes I think, we need to learn to be so sensitive to the Spirit that we can tell when we've grieved Him. When we've hurt Him and quenched Him. The Bible says that we grieve Him and the Father is jealous over that. It's His Spirit. And when we grieve the Spirit, the Father yearns jealously over that. Not only that, He yearns for us to be faithful to Him. And here's the reason. He knows that our faithfulness to him will strengthen our love for him. It will strengthen our view of his beauty and of his glory. And we'll live better lives because we'll be what we're called to be. As long as we're going after sin... We'll never be what we're called to be. As long as we're trying to find it in a friendship with the world, we'll never be satisfied. And so the Father is yearning over us because he wants us to look toward him as the all-glorious one and to follow after him. The danger of, of spiritual adultery is, is a jealous, omnipotent God. That's a dangerous thing, George. A jealous, omnipotent God. You say, okay, where's the hope? Where's the hope in all this? Let me give you three quick things that give you the hope. One is the love. The love. 
Just, just write it down, the love. Where's the love? We are the bride of Christ. God loves you. He's entered into a marriage relationship with you. He loves you. He cares for you. What's the extent? That's the second thing. The love. What's the extent of the love? This verse tells us he yearns to be with us. He yearns to be with us. We don't have to go like the Greeks searching after a God to somehow try to please him, to get him to even talk to us. We have a father who loves us and who yearns for us. That's incredible. There's hope in that. And then the passion of his love. You see, the extent he yearns, the passion of it is he yearns jealously over us. He longs for us to love him as he loves us. Now, all of that comes out of one source. One source. That's your next point. Look at the, the one source. But he gives more grace. So James is talking to people who have sinned. He's talking to people who have committed spiritual adultery, who have been flirting with the world. And what James is saying to them is he gives more grace. Come back to him. Repent. Turn toward him. Come back into your relationship with him. And he gives more grace. Listen. No matter what we face, no matter what we've done, when we come back to him, please hear this, there's more grace in God than there is sin in us. Can I say it again? There's more grace in God than there is sin in us. Let me take it a step further. There's more grace in God than there is sin in this world. He gives more grace. No matter how many times you flirted with the world and turned from the world and committed adultery with the world, no matter how many times, if you come back to your father, he gives more grace. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. If you find yourself in spiritual adultery today, even physical adultery, if you find yourself in spiritual adultery, draw near to God. Confess your sin as being sin and repent of that sin and turn back to Him and you'll find grace. A couple verses, Romans 5, 20, the second half of verse 20 and 21. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then John 1.16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. It is true. God opposes the proud. If you find yourself in spiritual adultery, you find yourself as a friend of the world, you find yourself at enmity with God, refuse to come to him for grace. That's pride. He himself will oppose you. That's the danger. He will oppose you. But if you repent, if you confess your sin, he will come back to you. You will come back to him. He will return to you, and you will find grace to the humble. Humble yourself before God and he will give you grace. Jesus gave us the perfect picture of this in the parable of the prodigal sons. The first son that we talk about all the time, we always see him as the prodigal son. The other son was prodigal as well. The prodigal son went away and spent all he had, wasted it. But Jesus pictures the heavenly father when when the son finally comes back in all of his shame, what does the father do? He's already looking for him. And when he sees him coming, he, he knows people tell us that the culture would have shamed him and banned him from ever coming back if he came back like he came. So the father runs to meet him. 
He won't let the culture have the first word on this boy. It's the father who's going to have the word. You remember what the father does? He runs to him and he embraces him. He restores him. He puts clothes on his back, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, brings him back into the house and throws a barbecue and kills a fatty calf. And there's dancing and music and a celebration. The, the father gives that son grace upon grace upon grace. So let me ask you this morning. How's your marriage? Now, your marriage with your spouse is a good question. That's, that's a good question. But I'm not talking about that one right now. Even though that relationship will show a lot about your relationship with God. How's your marriage with God the Father? How faithful have you been? How loving have you been? How good have you been in that relationship with the Father? I challenge you this morning... As we think about the marriage relationship with the Father, if you've been born again, you've exchanged vows with Him, maybe you need to renew those vows. Maybe you need to take some steps of obedience as a believer, as a brother, as a sister in Christ. And I think maybe the thing we ought to ask ourselves in our marriage with God is, are we, are we better friends with the world or friends with God? Who's your closest friend? Who's your best friend? Who, Who's the one that you want to be with more than anything? I, um, I thought about this the other day, and I'll close with this. My greatest need is the presence of God. It's the greatest need I have is to be in the presence of God. It's my greatest need. But here's the question. Does my greatest desire meet my greatest need. What's your greatest desire? What is it you daydream about, you think about, you, you, you imagine when you get a chance? Is it, is it God? My greatest need is God. I want my greatest desire to match that need so that I'm seeking after Him and a relationship with Him. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads for a moment. How's your relationship with God? We see the love the Father has. He wants to have a marriage relationship with us. And for some reason, you've never been born again. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to Him. And I would love to talk to you about that. If the Spirit is convicting your heart right now, listen to Him and call upon Him that you might be saved. Maybe you have been born again, but you, there's some steps you haven't taken that God would call you to take. How close are you to his body? Have you been baptized? Have, are you an active part using your gifts that he has given you in this relationship? Our children's ministry desperately needs teachers to help. Maybe Maybe God would remind you of that to support Chris in his ministry, to help him. In it. There are other areas of need in this church. The gifts are here. What is it God's calling you to do in that relationship with him? My marriage relationship doesn't go very well if all I do is stay gone all day, come home at night, and read in a corner or watch TV all night. It's better when I'm talking with Kim and spending time with Kim. My marriage relationship with God is not where it ought to be if all I do is what I want to do. And I'm not talking with Him. I'm not spending time with Him. I'm not developing a relationship with Him in His Word. Are there things you need to confess before the Father today? Are there areas of your life that you need to strengthen in your physical marriage or in your spiritual marriage with God. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts right now. Our greatest need is you. And I pray that you would give us a desire to desire you.
above all things. And Father, would you just put a burning in our heart to spend time with you, to know you, and to make you known. I thank you for this body of Christ. I thank you for those that I've watched over these years as they grow in you. I thank you for new folks who are here today, and I pray, God, that you speak to all of us and you make it very clear how we need to walk in you. Help us to be faithful, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you just pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? As Dan comes to lead us in a song, if there's something public you need to do, you do that. I'll be here. Tim will be here to meet you. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for being here. Is today promotion Sunday or was it last week? Today. So all of our children are promoting into their new classes. Encourage you to, to just be in prayer for the new teachers. As I said in the prayer time, we do need children's teachers, always. We need at least two teachers in every classroom for security and other things. And so if that's an area you're called to, please see Chris. Let Tim or myself know. We would love to. To help you with that. I, I encourage you. It's good to see Connor DeBose here um, and Sarah and everybody who's here with, with mom. Um, Connor's serving our country in the Army and he's here from Texas visiting. So, Connor, thank you for your service and we appreciate you. And, and I know um, I'm, I'm introduced to you Abby's new husband, Andrew. They're now in Italy and serving there. So, be in prayer. I, I can't ever remember that last name. What is it? Fonseca, the Fonsecas, and so went from minor to Fonseca. There you go. Um, but be in prayer for that family. And I just want to challenge you with one thing as we close. I was at McDonald's the other day. I know I look like I've been having a lot of McDonald's. and I'm, I'm going to quit because it used to be less than $5. Now it was over $10. But I asked Sandra, there's about 200 giving units right now in our church. If every giving unit for the rest of the year, from this point on, gave 10 extra dollars a week. Now, for some of you, 10 extra dollars is a whole lot, and I understand that. And I'm not asking you to give more than God has called you to give. But some of you, you could give more than $10 the next week. But an extra $10 a week per 200 units is $2,000 more a week, which is over $100,000 a year. That's an incredible amount 
that would go toward ministry and all the things that we have in our budget just with that simple thing. Kim and I are committed to giving more from out this time on on our tithes and offerings to help the church continue to meet their budget and continue to do what we're called to do. And I just ask you to consider it. $10 more a week per giving unit would be over $100,000 more toward our budget and missions offerings. And so the ushers will be at the door, and they would love for you to give that extra 10 today. Or Steve Hobbs said he'd drop in 100 if another 100 of you would do that, right? So um, just, just, just do whatever God's called you to do there. But I just want to challenge you with that simple thing. We're going to close with a song. As we're singing that song, our ushers are going to make their ways to the door. I'll be at this store. Tim Gold will be in the foyer. And, um, and we would love to help you find the Sunday school class if we can. And we're getting out right on time. So let's close.